Welcome to The Content Lab, the weekly podcast for content marketers about the strategies and tools you need to create addictive content your audience will love. I'm your host, Liz Murphy, Impact's content strategist. You know, I thought about playing it safe with an easy topic since it's the first episode of Content Lab, but instead, since I'm now unsupervised with my own show, I have decided to hurl us into the deep end without water wings, so to speak. I want to talk today about a big, fat, meaty topic, pillar content. You know, those big, massive on-page guides that deal with a really, really big, broad topic. You know, the kind of stuff you would never write a single blog post about. Now, if you know me, this shouldn't come as a big surprise. I'm a little obsessed with pillar content, but the good news is, is that I'm not alone. Over the past year or so, I've had the chance both here at Impact with our own team and then also out in the wild to speak with marketers about pillar content. You know, why it exists, how does it work, what is it, what isn't it, you know, all of those little nitty gritty details. Still, while it excites people, pillar content is a bit of a strange beast because it's creating a lot of confusion. More importantly, that also means there are a lot of things people are getting wrong about it. This is a huge, huge problem since pillar content isn't just a new way of packaging up content and sharing it with your audience. It legitimately is the future of how we should be architecting our content strategies. And I don't say that lightly. I remember the first time somebody said that to me, you know, pillar content, you know, it's the future of content strategy. I'm like, yeah, okay. So next week you're going to tell me a teacup is the future of content strategy. It's something that's a moving target that changes all the time. And it's true. Content is going to continue to evolve, but pillar content and its associated friend topic clusters they are the future of pillar uh, of content strategies. You, you have to understand them as a marketer in order to move forward. So since this is, you know, that big, hairy, scary topic, I've invited one of my absolute favorite fellow content nerds and industry friends to join me this week, Justin Champion. He is a content professor at the HubSpot Academy and also just an all around awesome dude. Uh, before I kick us over to our conversation, however, I do want to share with you a quick reminder to stick around after the chat uh, for this week's One Thing and the Weekly Awesome. But with that, here's the interview. Well, I am very excited uh, today. I am welcoming my first guest to the Content Lab podcast, Justin Champion from HubSpot. Hi there, how are you? I am doing all right. So, okay, this is kind of funny. Normally when I'm recording podcasts with people, you know, they are also in an office, you know, they've got their big blue Yeti mic the way I do, but um, you look like you're in the backseat of a car. Yes, I am. I have a, a Ford F-250, um, which is a, the, a work truck that I have that's actually a camper, but I use this to pull uh, an Airstream that I live in because I'm on the road right now doing a series of uh, workshops for the HubSpot user group program and HubSpot Academy. So I, this is my mobile office. It's a perfect space for me. Um, it's actually more comfortable to sit in the Airstream because the back seat is just, it's, it's very comfortable. I, uh, the center console is the exact dimension of what I need for my computer. I know that sounds kind of a little bit nerdy, but I know that within a world of traveling and inconsistencies of not knowing what's coming up, um, this is my constant. So that's so cool. So this is your office and you work for HubSpot as the professor, correct? For content? Yeah. Yes. So I'm on the HubSpot Academy team as the content professor. Very cool. But you also call yourself the unbound inbounder, which I think is really cool. Yeah. it's a, The unbound inbounder is more of a, a movement that's happening with this workshop series that I'm doing. And really what an unbound inbounder is, it's a inbound marketer who doesn't wait for inspiration to strike. So as a remote worker who's constantly traveling, I don't really have a nine to five life. I, I work in the middle of the night, I work early in the morning, I work late at night. Um, and it's really the same sort of mentalities that I've, with this lifestyle, I've been able to uh, achieve and produce a lot more. So I really wanna start this movement where I'm helping people understand that it's not just a nine to five life, it's really somebody who is eager to get after it um, and really make something happen whenever inspiration's striking. 
So one of the ways that actually you and I first contacted each other, actually, I think you reached out to me. Oh, I was stalking you. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you were stalking me. Thank goodness about the topic that we're actually going to be discussing today, which is pillar content. So, okay. I didn't realize it was downright stalking. Let's, let's explore that. What do you mean? (laughs) So I, so I was initially doing, uh, what was about a year and a half ago, um, this new idea of topic clusters and and pillar pages. Some people call it pillar content, um, came about and I was doing research to understand what sort of examples existed because I wanted to start doing experience experiments of my own. So I found one of your, uh, web design pillar pages and really what a pillar page is. It's, it's really just a broad it's a website page that covers a broad topic in depth and, and is really linked to a cluster of related content, but you had a really great example because it had this experience where it had great content on the page and offered it as a downloadable resource. And that was something that I wanted to do as an experiment. Um, and yours was like one of the first iterations of things that I was looking at. Oh, you know, as an, I normally I would try to be like humble or something, but I am an only child. There's only one thing I like more than breathing. Uh, and that's pats on the back. So that was exciting. But no, I remember, I remember when you reached out to me about that because I, I'll be perfectly candid. I built that pillar page under duress. Uh, Kathleen Booth, who is now our VP of marketing here at impact, you know, she said, I'm seeing this thing where people create this big page and it looks crazy and we should do it. And I said, yes as the content manager at Quintain at the time where she and I first started working before we merged with impact, I said, yes, it also looks traumatic. (laughs) So, you know, of course I dragged my, you know, dragged myself kicking and screaming, like fine, I'll create it. Fine. We'll do it. And it ended up being this 12,000 word magnum opus, which we brought over to impact and I'll link in the show notes, but it was, it was the thing I became the most proud of. But here's what I will say about that. Um, You and I have been having this evolving conversation about pillar content, I would say over, like you said, about the past year and a half. Mm -hmm. And what I understand about pillar content now versus what I understand, understood then is drastically different. And that kind of gets to the heart of what I really want to talk about today is that I'm talking to a lot of other people about pillar content, uh, marketers, in-house content managers, other agencies. And I'm just hearing a lot of conflicting things that reminded me a lot of myself when I first got started. You know, when people hear about pillar content, they think about this really big giant page, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't think there's a lot of clarity or understanding about it. So I'd, I'd love to talk with you today kind of about demystifying what pillar content really is. Yeah, I'd love to as well, because there's, there's many, it, it, it seems like it's a scary concept for a lot of folks, but really it's, it's just, it's ambiguous and it's really meant to be because the whole point is that you can be prescriptive of what a pillar content or a pillar page is supposed to look like, but at the end of the day, it can take many different shapes or forms and it really has to do with the experience that you're trying to give to your audience, right? Like really the goal of a pillar page is to solve for the website visitor first. It's supposed to give them the best experience, but you really need to make sure that you understand your audience, like your buyer persona is the person who's coming to this page so that you're making sure you're giving them the correct experience or something that's going to be helpful to them. But at the same time, and this is the most important aspect of it, it should be solving for the search engine. So search engines have evolved over time and now um, content that is solving for the user, for the person first is what search engines are caring about. Most people wrote content in the past to really try to get rankings for search engines. So there's this evolution that's happening and, and really the pillar page is a thing that lives at the center of trying to solve for both of those. So let's start picking this apart a little bit before we start diving into best practices or, or how to actually put a piece together. What would you say are some fundamental assumptions marketers are making right now about pillar content that you wish desperately to correct? Yeah, great question. So I would say the first one is that they're looking for such prescriptive tactics that it's almost like too much in the box, right? Like every single page that I produce always has something a little bit different because as a marketer, I find it important to constantly be testing something. So everything that I create, the next thing is a little bit different. So the one thing um, that I think is the biggest issue is that people, first of all, they, they are looking for such prescriptive advice that it's, 
they're not thinking about their users, right? Like they just want to know what to do versus thinking about the experience and trying to get creative. And that might be a little bit scary for people who might not be, you know, as more of a seasoned marketer of how to get creative. Um, but I think that's like the biggest thing that, that I've been seeing as, as one of, as a main issue. Um, another one is that people are afraid you, you mentioned earlier with that pillar page that you created, that was like 12,000 words long. And it was really, it solved for the experience of the website visitor, right? Like it helped them understand how to go through a website redesign. And that's what Google wants. They want people to find car. They want to connect people with content that really solves for that experience. And I think the one thing that people are mainly concerned about, but also, uh, trying to wrap their heads around of now this aspect of, okay, I used to have a landing page and I had a guide on it that maybe I wanted to try to develop lead generation for, but now with this new approach, you're telling me to ungate this content and how am I going to get leads out of it? So people are a little bit hesitant to be ungating content because they feel like they're giving something away, but they forget that if they're not doing that, what happens if your competitor does that? What happens if they beat you to the punch? So it's like, you don't, you don't want to lose an opportunity because you're afraid of being helpful to the audience that you're ultimately trying to attract and educate. Well, yeah, because I, here's, here's kind of my counter argument to that, because that's something I've heard quite a bit. You know, mm -hmm. you're telling me I'm going to put all of this effort into a piece of content mm -hmm. and I'm going to have to ungate it. Like I can just give it to people for free. And I, and I say yes. And they think that's completely crazy, but it does work because here my counter argument usually centers around if you create something valuable enough, it's something people are either going to bookmark and come back to all the time, or it's something they're going to want to download and actually read later. And if I take a look at, so we have one about a brand messaging strategy, which has been performing really well. It's been up for, I want to say about two months, about half of the traffic we're getting is organic search, which is fantastic. And 50% of the new leads or actually, no, it looks like, Oh, I haven't looked at this in a while. <laughs> um, in the highest source of new contacts obviously is coming from organic search, but in terms mm -hmm. of submissions, it's a 50, 50 split wow. between direct traffic and organic. Wow. So it, it, it kind of counters that argument, you know, of the X number of views, this particular piece has gotten, uh, it looks like a quarter of those people who visit ultimately download it. And here's another argument with that. So it's like, it's, you're not going to be getting more leads. Let's be clear about that. Mm -hmm. Like your leads might not go up, but the quality of leads will. And that's, what's most important because if somebody is willing to give you their email address for something that they've already read, they find it so valuable that they want to take it with them. Now you need to be in an industry, first of all, that is in an industry that's creating educational, engaging content. Otherwise this approach won't work but your goal is to get more traffic. You're going to get more visibility to the page. And then the people who are converting on that page are willing to give you their information. They want to start a relationship with you because they can see the thought leadership that's coming from it. So if you were just to have a landing page and shove it all behind a form, not only could a search engine not find it, but somebody is taking a chance on you and hoping that the content's valuable. So really what's happening and what I've seen with it is, is that yes, there are, there are times where, um, leads can go up, but what I've actually seen is that the quality of leads go up and sales are more happy about that because these people have been educated and those are the people that they want to be following up with. Not somebody who was hoping that the content was valuable. Then, they, then if they didn't find it valuable enough, then they weren't, um, they're not going to be valuable lead in the first place anyways. And the other thing that you brought up too, that I, I think is such a valid point is that you have to create content that solves for a specific problem. Mm -hmm. I think the thing that always frustrates me, especially as someone who folk, like I, my job is content. That's what I live. That's what I breathe. And I get frustrated when people bring me ideas for something where it's just broad everything to everyone. And they're very hesitant to drill down, to get specific, to do something that is, I want to know within 10 seconds, no matter how big of a piece of content it is, what problem you're solving for. So when we created that website redesign one, we said the problem that we're solving for is, is something that actually serves our sales team, but it also serves the user, which is most often times, you know, people get into a website redesign as a business and they don't know what they don't know. Exactly. And exactly. you need to help them with that. And for our sales team, you know, when we republished the website redesign guide on for impact, one of our sales guys reached out to me and said, this is literally something I will just hand to any prospect anytime they come across for a website redesign, because it is such a great qualifier. 
Right. Yeah. And so would you, so would it be fair to say then that sales would be one of the best teams to follow up on and finding out what content should be created, right? Like, would, would, oh, you, would that be fair to say? Yeah. Absolutely. And that's, yeah. And something with that, like that's, that's another question. I think the biggest, you asked earlier on, like the biggest issues that I've seen with people with creating, um, you know, pillar content and topic clusters, the two biggest ones, and it's actually what the workshop tour, the Unbound Inbounder tour that I'm doing right now is solving for. So the first one is that people are choosing way too broad. All of a sudden, they want to be ranking for SEO or for marketing or for even content marketing. But that's not the goal of this. The goal is to be strategic and understand what is the sweet spot of a ranking that you could ultimately, based on your website authority, how, how valuable your website is in the eyes of Google, how can you identify a term that you have the ability to rank for and then dominate that space if somebody else hasn't created content around it. Which brings me to the second point is people aren't sure what content they should be creating because they're not really researching what content already exists. They're only looking at the monthly search volume of the terms that they're choosing. So if you find the monthly search volume of something that ultimately you might be able to rank for, you should still be researching to see, hey, is the content that already exists out there something that I could write better than or could I even write something new about? Because if that's not the case, then you're going to be creating noise and noise doesn't help anybody. And you're only going to be wasting your efforts because it's going to be a lot harder to achieve ranking. So you really need to do research and understanding monthly search volume, as well as understanding is the content that I would be creating something that would be providing new value. So you, we've touched upon this a little bit about how pillar content is the core of a larger strategy, which is topic clusters. Yes. And I want to pivot to that for a little bit because it, it comes up key. When you started talking about keyword research, that really kind of tipped the scales for me because the other, the other incorrect assumption I hear a lot is that people lead with the pillar first, like because the pillar is so big, they literally cannot see the forest for the giant tree in front of them. And they don't understand that it operates as part of a larger kind of content infrastructure. So mm -hmm. I, I would love to hear from you a little bit about how you, how you coach people and educate people around the why of a topic cluster and why it, it exists the way that it does. Sure. Great question. And the best way to think about it is, is you have to think of your content strategy like a series of pillars. It's this ongoing foundation that's meant to guide and align your long-term content strategy. So people have been creating, people who are in the game of creating content and trying to attract search engines, they create it consistently, right? They might create it on a weekly basis, a bi-weekly basis, but they don't really understand how everything is connected, right? And the why behind it is, why are you ultimately creating content in the first place? How are you making a difference in your audience's lives? What are you training? What are you educating them on? And really this whole strategy, what it's meant to do is it's meant to create a connected force. It's really like an ecosystem. It's meant to serve so that if you are creating a blog post, if you are creating another asset like a video, how is it connecting to the larger picture? Because really all this is doing, it's not necessarily a new concept as much as it is that you're thinking about your website architecture in the experience, right? So every piece of content you have is essentially a door to another piece of content or it's an experience to go learn something new versus where people when they create content, sometimes I feel like they're, it's like they're building a house without a blueprint. They're not thinking about the doors that are going into different rooms and it's a closed experience. Really the whole thing that's happening here is it's challenging people to think about their website architecture and even outside the website architecture, right? Because you have channels like SlideShare and YouTube. It's really making sure that you think about the connected experience and how one piece of content is meant to support and help nurture somebody to get to the next piece. That's the whole goal of this in an essence. And a lot of this, if I'm not mistaken, really has, you know, this is what I, this was the, the light bulb moment I had, uh, quite frankly, much later than I, I care to admit publicly, um, was really understanding how, how the fact that search has fundamentally changed is what is influencing this new type of strategy. Like this is, you know, we see a lot of things come and go in terms of trends with content, you know, what works and what doesn't. But this was the first time where I saw this watershed moment where I'm like, this is a fundamental big change. Mm -hmm. And because people get so obsessed about the fact that it is, you know, obsessed about this 12,000 word or whatever monolith that they have to create, they are missing the fact that this is where content strategy is going. And it may continue to evolve, but this cluster approach where you have that kind of 
core to it that is substantive and definitive on a particular topic, this, we have to understand that. Yes. And I think the one thing that pairs this strategy, if you think of it, it's the fuel and you could create the best content, right? Like the, the one thing that if you do not, let me think about this. If you want to be successful with this approach, you need to be a kick-ass link builder. You need to build your website authority. You need to understand how you can go out, whether it's guest blogging or it's other opportunities. You need to find ways of getting other websites, third-party websites, linking to your website as a vote of confidence to help build your website authority. And the reason why that's so important is because there's an example that I have in my workshop where... It's on gum disease. It always gets a little bit weird whenever I start talking about this, but it's just a, such a great example of a, a pillar page from Colgate where they created this pillar page that ranks number two and all the different sections on that page are also ranking on the first page of Google. And it's a great example for people to look at when they're using, when they're looking for a template of how they should be designing what I call a, a resource pillar page, something that's more of like a bookmarkable reference page, very similar to like a, a library of uh, content around a specific topic or theme. But the, the reason why that page is ranking so well is because Colgate has a lot of links, right? It does so well because they have almost over a half a million links. They've been building uh, authority up over time and a search engine sees their website as authoritative. But there's another example that I talk about in this workshop of Crest, which is one of their biggest competitors. It's another big house name brand. They have a gum disease page that is also really helpful. It has a lot of great content on it. Where do you think that page ranks on Google? I don't know. This page is on page nine. And I did a lot of research to try to understand what in the heck is going on here. And I looked at it and they have, uh, Colgate has three times the amount of inbound links that Crest has. And all the other pages that are before it also have a lot of inbound links and a lot of authority. So it's a great example that you could have really great content, but unless you have inbound links, you have website authority and you did the research to understand Am I creating content around something that's actually going to help me get visibility? Um, you could be wasting your efforts. Not that you're wasting your efforts because it's still valuable content, but it's going to be a much harder climb to get visibility on search engines if there's already a lot of great content ahead of you that also is more authoritative um, because they have more inbound links. You know, more broadly, I think you bring up here a really good point that you and I discussed, I think, a couple months ago when you and I were getting back together, you know, what did we learn since we last talked about pillar content and yada, yada. And this is one of those things where you said to me, people who, you can be a fantastic content creator, but if you're not a great link builder or keyword researcher, it's going to fail. You are going to build the field of dreams that Shoeless Joe will never, ever see. He'll go to some <laughs> lesser softball field in Des Moines and you'll never meet him. And I think the same thing holds true in the inverse is that, you know, it can't just be a blatant SEO grab. You can't just manufacture and pull all these different pieces in. You also have to be a good content creator, but it is that dual discipline. You know, it, it, it's, it's a scary thing to try to wrap your brain around if it's new, but I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that balance of skills that you really need to keep in mind as you're going through this. Yeah, I think you nailed, I na you nailed it right on the head. And I love your, uh, Sheila, or, uh, Sheila Jackson uh, analogy there, but I, you really, it's really a two prong approach. Like you need to first understand how to create great content, right? Like it's, it's almost so, uh, it's so ambiguous to tell people to create remarkable content, create great content, right? But what we mean by that is, is create content that's going to be helpful to a specific audience. Don't create content for everybody. Create content that's meant to solve for a specific topic and to a specific audience. Because if you're trying to please everybody, you're not going to please anybody. And if you have that approach, right? If you understand how to create great content, you're going to want to think about the architecture and the experience of if you're putting links on a page, ultimately, what are these linking off to? Like, don't just put links on there to put links. Like, really strategically, make sure you understand the experience of where you're trying to send people. And if you understand the website architecture piece, then you're thinking about your entire website. You're not just thinking about creating a great blog post. You're thinking about creating a great blog post that might be supporting a specific content offer that maybe is in the form of a, a pillar content or a pillar page. This way, you're sending people ultimately to the next destination. So if you understand that, that's going to be the foundation of the fundamentals. And when you pair that with link building and you bring that into this, what I've actually seen is I've seen people create really great pillar content 
where they are doing link building efforts at the same time. And what I mean by that is, is they'll crowdsource uh, thought leadership quotes. They'll reach out to maybe 50 people in a specific industry and get a quote for them or their thoughts and include them in the page. So ultimately what ends up happening is when that page is released, not only do they have great content that it's connected to the rest of their website, but now they have this internal, they have this inbound linking structure where now these people want to link to this page because they're mentioned on it or they're giving their thought leadership. So if you can find ways of bridging the gap and bringing all these things together, you're going to be an amazing content creator, not just this year, but for the next couple of years, because I, search engines are making these big moves to solve for search query intent. And that's exactly what you would be doing. Hmm. So you've been seeing a lot of people do pillar content well, and you mentioned uh, a couple of things, you know, including different quotes, um, you know, when we started doing the downloadables with ours, and I know you've been watching what other people are doing with pillar. What have you seen in terms of the innovations that seem to be working or any commonalities that you may have noticed that are contributing to their successes? Yeah. So, it, there's a couple of different types of approaches of different pages that people use, but I would say that the, the 10X content pillar page, which is more of like that format of an ungated guide or an ebook, the things that I've seen successful with that, um, the biggest one is to have anchor links at the top of the page. Ultimately, if you're going to be educating somebody, think about, right, if you have an ebook or a guide, you probably have different chapters on it. And if you have anchor links that send people to this specific portion on your page, you said it earlier, you had a 12,000 word page. You don't want to expect people to navigate through that page and look for what they're trying to find. You want to be able to connect them to that piece of content or that specific content on the page the quickest way possible. And the next thing is if you can actually bring that anchor link table of contents as a hover option throughout the page. So baseline, have an anchor link table of contents. Next thing would be, can you have that table of contents follow that person around? So after they're reading, can they jump around? the best thing you can do is make the user experience as positive and easy as possible so that this person can consume as much content as they want until they don't want to consume anymore or they're ready to possibly download it and take it with them. And that's a big one right there is that you want to make this content something that people can download and take with them. Now, I've seen a lot of people, some do this and some don't. I've seen uh, Neil Patel. He's created really great content on content marketing some of his content doesn't always necessarily have a download on it. Now, it's, maybe that's not the purpose of it. Um, that's totally fine. But then I've seen uh, content, or not content marketing institute. I've seen Moz, who has a great content marketing guide where they offer it as a download, but they don't even capture your information. So they're not even asking for your email address. So I try to understand the different user experiences of what, why they're doing it this way. But really what I found is that People, if you create this content, the attribution might just be messy anyways, and they might want to reach out to your sales team to even learn more. So my suggestion is that at least if you're going to spend this time creating this content, and especially when you're talking to a lot of people who are hesitant about giving the content away in the first place, have it as a package download, because that's going to be something that is really going to help people um, so that they don't have to keep coming back to your site. They can actually take it wherever they want. Maybe they want to sit in the back of their truck and read it like I am. Yeah, one of the things that we've actually started doing is obviously conversational marketing, bots, drift, all that stuff is really, I'm still trying to wrap my brain around the robots. Thank goodness they're adorable. Um, but we've actually started using drift on certain pages that are related to our pillars. So we have a few. We have brand messaging strategy, website redesign, growth-driven design, and then we have a couple more that are currently baking in the oven, but we've been taking those and putting them on the related pages that are part of the topic cluster. And we've been experimenting on different ones just to see if we want to bring that in as part of the cluster mm -hmm. where it just says, Hey, you know, if you're interested in this and it has like the little thumbnail of the guide, you should check out this little pillar. And it's just this little robot and it's nice and visual. You can put those images in there. And that was a really great way to kind of break out of the usual, this is a CTA in the sidebar or at the bottom. And it, it looks helpful, you know, especially, and that's the thing where I used to be very resistant to the idea of robots. I think in the way a lot of people were resistant to the idea of any kind of automation when it comes to marketing. But the thing about bots in terms of integrating them with your pillars is that it creates this, it's what we talked about before. Your, your content should be helpful, mm -hmm. but that means the way you serve up your content should also have 
the appearance of being genuinely helpful. Like we put bots on certain pages because we believe that it will be helpful to the people that they're reading. And that's a great point. And, and HubSpot's actually, uh, we're in the process right now of creating, uh, because our platform's going to have bots in the future and we have conversational marketing. We actually have a, a professor on the team who's working on building out content on this. And I've been working with him and I've been learning about it because I, I, I felt the same thing with you as well as I want to make sure that bots are something that really aren't, uh, I have to really see how it's actually helping before I really am going to be willing to start putting these different tests on a page. But as a marketer, again, I'm always open to different tests and understand what's working. But the thing that I like about bots and what I've learned from his name is Brian Bagdasarian, who is doing the conversational marketing for HubSpot Academy now, is that the bots are meant to even, so if you think about your content being helpful, the bot is meant to be helpful in taking that experience even to the next level. It's really meant to understand, again, if you understand the person who's coming to this page, making it conversational where the bot is almost mimicking a human, but it's even more helpful to connecting you throughout the site. So it's not even just like having a link or a CTA that sends you to the next portion. A bot can help direct you in the right direction of where you're going, where you might not actually know where you want to go next. So it's almost, it's, you can ask questions, you can work with this, with this bot that really can guide you to what your next experience is going to look like. And that's one thing that I think is going to be very transformative of the next iteration of the next version of what people are doing with pillar content. So before we start to wrap this topic up, there is one other FAQ that I get quite a bit about pillar content, which mm -hmm. is when it comes to developing your topic customer, cluster strategy and then the keyword strategy that accompanies your pillar. Your pillar has to have more of a broad keyword, not something super specific or super long tail. It has to have a certain level of search volume. And so people have come to me and said, you know, hey Liz, I have this really broad keyword. Let's say like the example that HubSpot uses a lot is workout routines. Um, but they come to me with this broad keyword and they say, I don't know how to take that keyword and create a specific topic that solves for a specific problem. So what would you encourage people to do to help brainstorm around that? Great question. And, and this is what I do in the two hour workshop. The whole workshop has this 14 page workbook where people actually design their long-term content strategy with this topic cluster approach, but then they leave with the first topic cluster that they're actually gonna build. Cause that's the whole point. It's not to figure out the first topic cluster, but to identify the entire structure, right? I'm a planning nerd because if you can plan all that out and see the blueprint, then you can start building a room at a time. Um, and the approach, kind of the, uh, the shorter version of it is, I, I, I like to think of this approach or content strategy like climbing a steep mountain, right? Like we're all at the base right now. We're looking at the summit. It seems so far away. It's kind of scary and daunting. We don't even see a, a trail. Is there, where the hell is the trail? Is there even one? And it, it's a lot for people to consume and, it's, and it can be scary, but people have done this before. We've seen all these examples. We've talked about people who've made it to the top, who've created these great pieces of content that are getting attention. And if you can do it, if they can do it, then anybody can. So the first thing that people need to think about is at the tip of the mountain, what is your reach term? Now the reach term is the broad topic. You said workout routines. Let's just say inbound marketing, for instance, because I remember when we talked about this approach, everybody wanted to start to talk about inbound marketing, who was a marketing agency. So the problem is, is that if everybody wants to do that, you're not going to find the sweet spot of ultimately the content that you can create that you're going to get rankings for. So the way that I help people understand this is first identify your reach term, right? Everybody wants to rank for inbound marketing. Maybe that's the tip of the mountain. That's what you're ultimately climbing to. But the point is that you're using this to align your ongoing content strategy. You ultimately would want to try to rank for inbound marketing, but the best thing you can do is identify that reach term. The next step down, which is about halfway up the mountain, is choose a series of core topics that contextually support that reach term. So if the reach term is inbound marketing, then maybe a possible core topic would be, or contextually driven core topic would be inbound marketing best practices or inbound marketing tips and strategies. Now, the point of this is that your reach term should probably be above 2,500 monthly search volume. It doesn't actually matter the monthly search volume of it because you're using this to align your approach. But your core topics, that sweet spot that you're trying to get rankings for, should be anywhere between 350 to 2,500 monthly search volume. Now, mind you, that's without taking into account website authority or how much content you already have on your site. This is being prescriptive. But if you stick between the 350 to 2,500, 
you're giving yourself the best chance at getting visibility for content that you want to rank for, especially if you ever wanted to rank for inbound marketing, inbound marketing uh, uh, tips and strategies, I think is a thousand monthly search volume from last time I looked at it on, on Google. And a way that you can do this is download the plugin Keywords Everywhere. Keywords Everywhere is a free plugin. You can it's use it amazing. on Chrome. It's the best thing ever. It's going to completely redefine how you look on search engines because it's almost like you're always doing research. Um, and the thing that you're wanting to do after that is a subtopic. Now, this is important. When you're thinking about subtopics, which is at the base of the mountain, that's where we exist today. That's content you're creating on a weekly basis. Maybe it's in the form of a video or a blog post. Think of it in the form of a question. And the reason why I recommend the form of a question is because that's how ultimately people perform searches. Maybe is it, does inbound marketing actually work? Now you could create content around that or you could, you could write an answer to it. Maybe it's three reasons why inbound marketing is gonna work in 2018. It's gonna be, you wanna ultimately solve it so that you're connecting the person, a search engine's gonna be taking that question and looking for the best answers possible. So the way that I recommend climbing this mountain is reverse engineering. It's starting off with your reach term, which is something that you're striving to get to, that you're aligning the rest of your content around. And then halfway down, you're choosing a series of core topics that you can build topic clusters out of, that you'll have multiple pillar pages that exist that have between 350 to 2,500 monthly search volume. Now, an example of this, the truck that I'm sitting in right now is an experiment that I did a few years ago for DIY Truck Camper on a brand new website that I was trying to get rankings for. Now, DIY Truck Camper is 1,600 monthly search volume. It's, it's difficult, it gets, it gets good visibility. Uh, but I rank number one on Google for it now because I've created, I created a guide, then I ungated that guide, turned it into a 10X content pillar page, and now it ranks number one, and I'm getting, my traffic is shooting up month over month, and the reason why this approach is so important, because I know I'm really answering this question in a very long-winded way, is that Ahrefs, which is an SEO company, a great software platform, has this study that they did that the average first page ranking will rank well for about a thousand other keywords. So me ranking for DIY truck camper, I'm probably getting a thousand other relevant keywords that are similar to it. Like truck cap camper, I think I rank number three, four, and even like homemade camper, which I rank number five, four. So what people need to think about is find that contextually driven core topic, focus your time and energy on creating the best content for it. And if you get that first page ranking, if you really work towards it, you're probably going to get all these other rankings for that you don't need to that you can't even anticipate. And that's really the whole goal of this. Well, yeah, because it's kind of like a rising tide raises all ships, um, yes. you know, yes. mentality. Because I think that's the thing that like, I'm a very visual person. Mm -hmm. And I thought about it as just, you know, basically the, the topic cluster strategy is designed so that Google and RankBrain and these more AI driven search algorithms that are trying to serve up more relevant, useful content faster, can find content around a particular topic faster. Yes. And we found that with our website redesign one. I had no idea until Kathleen told me this, so I'm very excited to tell you this, because okay. it was the first one we bonded over. If you go in incognito mode on Google Chrome mm -hmm. and you search for website redesign, our guide is number three. For just website redesign? For just website redesign. And here's the interesting thing. So that is something that took a lot of time and people are not willing or they're just, they're not looking at the long game. You created that piece of content, what was it, over 18 months ago, mm -hmm. right? That's how, long, that's how long ago I ungated that truck camper guide and it took mm -hmm. forever. I, so I rank number, well, first of all, before you even get to that, congratulations, you rank number three for that. There's probably all these other rankings you're getting out of it. You have great content that you've created on it and it's something that it took time right? Like you had great content, you, were, you had the links that were helping with it, but it's not something that you got the visibility overnight, even six months, but now you're getting the, you're getting the traffic, you're getting the ranking. It's, that's the big thing is that it takes time to get these rankings for broad terms like website redesign, because that's a really broad term. It's a really broad term, but here's the funny thing about it. So the one that ranked, we actually took that guide down and republished it. So we lost whatever it was. This has been over the course of the past three months that this happened. And wow. we made some tweaks to it that really worked. But there's some sort of, I don't know, schmoey startup called HubSpot. We can't seem to beat, but you know, yeah, it's fine. I, really... I mean, I don't know who they are. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how they do. What do you think you did with this guide though? Like for it to be number three within three months... Um, what, what sort of changes happened from the last time 
that you published this that what was different? To be perfectly frank, it was understanding and having that light bulb moment with the topic cluster and how it's supposed to function. Um, and I spent days tweaking the topic cluster, like going it. So going into the content strategy tool in HubSpot, building everything out, going through all of the different pages on our blog and finding, you know, relevant places like where could this live as a CTA to drive people to it. Um, that really made a huge difference. Um, because I think there is this idea that once you publish whatever it is that you're going to publish and, and you build your links, um, that you're just going to get those results. And we did, we started seeing some results, but I noticed I wasn't seeing the results that I wanted to see. So I kind of thought of it like a garden, like you go in, you water this, you till that, you trim this down, you push this out. I even experimented with the types of linking I was doing on a page. Like, does it work better if I link in text or was what I was doing enough with call outs, um, you know, graphically that still were links on the page, you know, just trying to mix it up a little bit to see what would work. Um, it seemed like a blend worked really well. I have another page where like, I don't really have that many in-text links. It's more like related resources that are called out. Mm -hmm. um, but really just, I spent, I spent as much time thinking about the cluster as I did about the single pillar. Wow. And that's, and that's such an important piece. And one thing about the cluster is it's important to link everything together. But if you have blogs that are doing really well, like that are, that are relevant to the cluster, it's extremely important that you link those two to ultimately the pillar page, because that's the whole point is that if a page is doing well, it's getting traffic, it's getting visibility. And then a search engine is crawling through those links and they see this liking cluster that's forming. That's where that this whole rising tide thing happens where it doesn't look like you just have one piece of content that's helpful, but you have a series, you have a whole library of content that's mm -hmm. all helpful. It's all connected. And that's really where, the rankings start to come in, come in even more. Um, it's HubSpot yeah. calls it historical optimization where we go through our blog posts on a specific series and we create, essentially we create topic clusters and pillar pages a lot quicker because you know HubSpot, that startup has so much content that mm -hmm. we can essentially create topic clusters based on all the blogs by just connecting everything together. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing what you can do with it. But I, I think as you and I have touched upon a little bit, it's, it's a lot of work. And I think that's the thing. I think that's the thing it gets back to. And I, I told you my my thoughts about this when we last spoke. I think the reason why this is such a problem for a lot of people is that content now, the creation of content that is absurdly useful is now a discipline that people need to understand. And I think for a long time, you could kind of get away with it because you used to be able to kind of have these, you know, disparate, abstract blogging strategies where you only had to be effective in like four to 800 word bursts. Mm -hmm. And now people are being forced to learn how to be better storytellers, learn how to actually solve problems, learn how to speak to people in a way that is not necessarily the first way they would position something because that's not what their audience wants, you know? And, and I think that's what makes us such a big challenge. Uh, I think it's where you're going to kind of see a little bit of separating the wheat from the chaff, so to speak. Um, it, it's, it's hard and I'm going through the pillar process right now with a bunch of them that we're working on and it's still a challenge every single time. But for those people who are new to pillars and they're kind of staring at this giant mountain, what's that first step for them? What would you say is, you know, this is overwhelming, but start here. So I actually even take it back a step. Like when they're looking at the pillar, what they're looking at, the one thing that they want to create, the, the, you know, the place on their website that ultimately they're trying to generate traffic, send people to hopefully get conversions from. I, I recommend trying to break down what that pillar is going to be about. Like for instance, that website redesign pillar page that you created, I, if I was approaching that, I would figure out what are the different sections that I want to talk about with the website redesign, right? Like when, I, when you say website redesign, what, what are the things that you talk about on that page? 
So we approached it from the perspective of, and this goes back to what problem we decided to solve, which is everything you need to know and do before you pick up the phone to dial an agency. So what I actually did was I locked our art director in an office and I essentially forced her to take me through everything in a narrative order of what they should be talking about. And that started with the dumbest question, but it's the most important. Why do you want to redesign your website? Because before you decide something is broken, you need to understand if the what or the solution that you're prescribing is the right solution. So once we got beyond there, it's like, okay, so then what next do you want to think about? Well, you probably want to think about how quickly you need your website and how much you want to spend on it. So that was the next thing we talked about. It's like, okay, so once we know we're doing our website for the right reasons, we have an idea of how much time we want to spend on it and how much we're willing to spend on it then you probably need to think about a couple of things. First, do you even know who has the access to dumb things like your hosting or like your DNS, you know, things that your agency will ask for? And then who from your team should actually be involved in that? Okay, so now I've got all my internal ducks in a row. So beyond that, okay, I know internally we're ready, which means I need to start looking outward all right, I should just pick up the first, you know, pick up the phone for the first agency I find on Google. And that is absolutely not the not right approach. So we talk to them about the different types of agencies that exist to help solve your problem in terms of building your website, what this type of agency is good for, what this one, that one, et cetera, et cetera, and so on and so forth. You know, what questions should you ask an agency? Okay. If we tell you what questions you should ask, we should probably also tell you the answers or, or why those questions are important. Uh, and probably it would be a good idea to tell you what red flags to look for. And that was really kind of the thought progression that I went through with her um, is really saying, okay, every time you tell me this is the next step, my next question is going to be what's next. Okay. What do I need to know next? And in what order? Like that's how an outline comes together because you never want to create some, like a piece of content is useful if the person is reading it and they feel like you're reading their mind about what their next question is going to be. What I love about that is that you create an outline for this page. A lot of people don't really do that. They get, they get started writing and then maybe they don't know what they're writing about next and they can get bogged down. So that is the first step is to build an outline. And just like you did, maybe lock somebody in a room, um, maybe don't lock them in the room, but get, get people in a room who know about this specific topic and have them talk to you about it, learn from them, understand what's important. You can even do research on Google. If you have that Keywords Everywhere plugin, you can start finding questions by typing in website redesign and the autocomplete and even the um, related search suggestions at the bottom. You can see what types of questions people have related to the specific topic you're trying to talk about. Now, once you create an outline, still don't create the pillar page. You can if you want, but what I recommend is for somebody who's new, who's getting started, start creating blog posts that... Maybe, maybe narrow it down to the six to eight most important subtopics. Subtopics are ultimately what are existing around the pillar It's what uh, makes the cluster content. the cluster. Exactly, is the subtopic. So start off one by one. I'm, I'm all into reverse engineering because it, it really helps people break down large, overwhelming things into consumable bites and chunks. So if you can identify your outline for the pillar page, identify maybe six to eight of the strong points that you would want to start that pillar page out with and start creating a blog for each one. Now focus your time and energy on creating the best blog post possible because you're ultimately going to be reusing you. You're reusing this. This is an approach that I did with this with this truck camper where I knew I wanted to rank for a for DIY truck camper ultimately and it was the term that I was uh, ultimately going to be creating this guide around. So I identified eight different chapters, eight different subtopics and I created a blog post for each one. Now once you create those blog posts you have the majority of your content that you might be able to repurpose and expand on onto this pillar page. Maybe you can even add more elements to it. Don't just copy and paste it. Add more value, right? So if somebody finds value in this blog post, they're probably going to find way more value in this pillar content that you're going to be sending them to. And that's the whole point is that if you actually think about the experience and if, you, if you're starting from the ground up, you actually have an opportunity of identifying the blogs you can create that can actually connect to your pillar content over time. Now, once you actually create that page, that pillar page, then ultimately continue growing it, right? Like maybe the, with that outline, maybe there were like 10 to 15 different points, but you only started off with six to eight of the strongest ones. Don't just set it and forget it because ultimately what ends up happening, and I've seen this too many times, I recommended earlier that you want to see what content currently exists out there so you can perform or that you can create new value or meaning. You want to be 
creating content on an ongoing basis and, and optimizing and growing that page into the best thing possible because what ends up happening is, is if you don't do that, you're going to leave yourself vulnerable for somebody to come and you know, get better rankings that, or outperform you in the future. So with this, I would say start small, build an outline, create the blog post first, and then repurpose that content into your pillar page, which ultimately maybe you could even create like a downloadable guide. And I know that that probably sounds like a very simplistic way of talking about it, but I have a lesson in the content marketing certification that I created. It's extending, your val- extending the value of your content through repurposing where I show you how to build that approach specifically with this truck camper as an example. Well, I, I think you also bring up a good point. And I, th- I think it, it's something that people need to keep in mind is that yes, a pillar by definition is supposed to be the most definitive resource on a topic, but you can take what I would like to consider a growth driven design approach to it. Mm-hmm. You know, think about your launch pad. You start with your launch pad pillar and then start iterating later on. Like, how is that performing? Because then you need to determine whether or not is the next thing that you're doing to it a change to the UI based on the data that you're getting, a change to how your topic cluster is structured, like ensuring that the health of your cluster is at a good enough baseline. Then start thinking about, okay, so what could we be talking about next? Yes. How do we expand? How do we continue to iterate and improve? Because I think that's the thing that, you know, Gather Content has a great one about website content strategy and how you put that together. And I've seen it change and evolve over time. The reason it stays bookmarked and it stayed in my bookmark bar for years is because I know I can come back to it and get the freshest stuff. Exactly. And that's the, that's the main thing here is, is that it's, it's, I like using examples of you know, pillars that, that are best in class, that they're performing so well, but really what ends up happening is it scares people because they're like, I don't know if I could ever create something like this, but think of it like a house with, right. You, you develop that initial blueprint, you build that house, but you're maybe going to build additions over time, right? You're going to iterate, you're going to keep optimizing and growing that. And it might take a year to get to that point, but it's not something you have to just do all at once. You can keep adding things over time and that should be actually be the goal, right? Because not only are you going to be staying up to date and you're creating more content that's going to be helpful for that page, but you're essentially making additions versus having to, you know, uh, not have enough money to afford this house that's your, your dream house. You can build it up over time. My God, I could literally sit here and talk about pillar content all day with you, but uh, <laughs> obviously we can't do that. <laughs> but I did want to thank you so much for coming here to talk with me today about pillar content. But before I let you go, um, you had some exciting news in that you published a book recently because you're not, you're the content professor, but it's not the pillar content professor. You are the inbound content guide. Yeah, that's, 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 uh, that's, I'm very fortunate to have found this role with HubSpot um, and HubSpot Academy specifically of, helping educate and inspire people to create more effective content. And, and over the past two years, the content I've been creating, I've been repurposing, I've been growing. It all started off with a snowflake. All these different snowflakes are falling, then it turned into a snowball, and then I rolled it up into this giant snowman, which took the form of Inbound Content, which is a, a book that I published last week uh, with Wiley. And there's actually three other HubSpot authors, um, as well as Todd Hockenberry, who's a HubSpot agency, who's a co-author with one of those books, but but what inbound content is? It's a it's a step by step guide on how to do content marketing the inbound way. And the way that I approach the book is it's it's really like a textbook. After each chapter, um, you know, each chapter is meant to educate you and help you understand how to be an effective content marketer. But one thing that I saw with most marketing books is they were really underserving the application portion of it. So at the end of each chapter, there's these series of activities that you can do to help transform into an effective content marketer and help build a content process for your business. But the two main takeaways and most exciting things about the book is that if you read through the book and if you complete all the activities by the end of the book, you'll have designed not only a topic cluster, a pillar page, but you'll have designed a long-term approach for your business. It really helps you develop an entire content marketing plan out of the box without you having to focus on how to do it because it's so prescriptive of each activity that it leads you into the next without you having to get overwhelmed by the bigger picture. And then at the same time, once you read the book, you'll be ready to earn your content marketing certification from HubSpot Academy because the content is repurposed from that. There's, about more, there's a lot more content that's added from just the certification, but I wanted to also give people, you know, like, a, a, like a, an industry creden- credential that is globally recognized at this point 
um, by just reading the book. That is so cool. I actually recently picked up my copy on Amazon. Oh, uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, of course. Happy to support you, man. I've, I've been really enjoying your, uh, your stuff in there about building that content framework, which I think is quite frankly, it could be another conversation that we spend another hour talking about. But if people have any questions for you about pillar content, your book, content frameworks, HubSpot Academy's content marketing certification, uh, or just your tour, because you're on tour with this Unbound Inbounder thing, right? You're going to be touring through the end of the year. Yeah. So I will be at this point, and I believe the tour is actually getting expanded. Um, all you have to do, and this is actually another experiment that I'm working on, um, which is another pillar page, but it's hubspot.com slash content. And then there'll be a anchor link at the top. If you just click live training, it'll take you down to the specific portion on the page where you can learn about all the different events that are coming up. Um, right now there's different workshops. They're all free. You can come out, you can design your long-term strategy with topic clusters in person with me, um, at these different events. And I will be adding more throughout the year because it is going to be expanded into at this point, I believe October. Um, it might go past that. I have big plans for it next year, but obviously you have to finish this year strong first. That's awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on today and uh, happy travels. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. a lot from that conversation with Justin, but I think one of my favorite things that he shared was how pillar content can take a lot of different forms. And actually, it's one of the biggest errors you can make by being overly prescriptive in how you create your pillars and how you structure them. But no matter what you do, every pillar you create should solve for your user, your audience first. Which brings me to this week's one thing. The one thing that you can start doing right now, today, in this moment, that will make your content instantly more effective. My one thing for you to all do differently this week is to narrow the scope of what you cover in a single piece of content. Because I don't really care how long it is, whether you're talking about a 400-word blog post or a 14,000-word piece of pillar content. You should identify a specific problem or question for you to solve or answer in every single piece of content you create. Now, I get it. With content pillars, that might seem a little impossible because they're supposed to be these super comprehensive guides, right? The most definitive single resource on a particular topic, which means it's going to go into a lot of detail and have a lot of depth. But trust me, you can solve four specific problems in your pillars. I mean, let's just go back to the example I used with Justin with the website redesign pillar we have here at Impact. When Jesse Lee, our design supervisor, and I first took a look at the original outline somebody gave us, it was like somebody put a kitchen sink metaphor on paper. It talked about wireframes. It talked about process, but then it also talked about cost. It didn't have any sort of focus. Like I looked at it and I didn't know who it was for or when they were supposed to be reading it. So what we did was we opted to solve for one specific problem, to educate businesses on every single thing they need to know before they pick up of the phone to call an agency. So we still ended up talking about a lot of stuff, you know, how much should your website cost? You know, what should that budget look like? How long should you expect a website to take? Uh, what team of people internally should you have to work on your website project with an agency? Oh, by the way, since we're talking about agencies, what kind of different agencies are there out there for websites? And how do you know which one is right for you? And what questions do you ask them? And if you ask them these questions, what should they say afterward? So again, we had this super comprehensive guide that answered a very specific problem. The reason why this is so important is because when I take a look at a piece of content that fails and we know it's not the landing page or the keyword strategy or any of those other X factors out there that can significantly influence the success of a piece of content, the number one reason is they tried to create something that was everything to everyone. And content that's everything to everyone is going to please no one. So... Tighten the focus on the content you're creating. Not only are you going to create content that's more effective, you'll be able to come back and visit that super broad topic in a completely different way down the line, which makes building out content strategies way easier. So, for example, that website redesign guide, great. So now that you know what everything you need to know before you call an agency, 
maybe the next guy we write should be about. What does that process even look like? So just a little food for that. Now, finally, the weekly awesome. The weekly awesome is essentially going to be an article or a tool or a tip that has significantly helped me in my job as a content strategist. Since we're talking about pillar content this week, I have to share with you Uber Suggest by Neil Patel. Literally, neilpatel.com slash ubersuggest. It is a free keyword research tool that I use all the time when I'm working on our pillar content strategies. It's easy to use and understand. I get tons of great ideas out of related keywords it spits out. It is just awesome. So the way you use it is you just go to that little URL, you type in your keyword, it'll tell you that monthly search volume, but it'll also give you a huge massive list of related keywords it thinks you might be interested in and their related monthly search volumes. I do not leave home without it when I'm creating content strategies, pillars or otherwise. Use it, it's free, it's awesome. And with that, uh, wow, I'm at the end of my first episode of the Content Lab. I hope you guys enjoyed it so much. First and foremost, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts. That would just make me super happy. If you want to connect with the podcast, me, uh, you can find me at Content Lab Pod on Twitter and Instagram. Or if you want to interact with me personally, you can find me at Naptown Pint pretty much everywhere on the internet. And last but certainly not least, please write a review. Not only does it feed me that validation I just love so, so much, it helps this podcast get found, which is super important since it's so new. So write a review, let me know what you think. And with that, uh, I'll talk to you guys next week when my guest will be Rob Mills of Gather Content. (laughs) 